0: <laughs> and laughs. Theatre of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: You're listening to Theatre of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly.
2: The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self Polishing Glow coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber, Donald Novus, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Don't Ever Leave Me. <laughs> At this time of year, every woman secretly yearns to run away from housework, to escape from the drudgery of cleaning and scrubbing. Well, now here's a way to save yourself hours of tiresome work without feeling that you're a shirker in any sense of the word. Just get some Johnson's self-polishing glow coat and apply a little of this easy-to-use liquid polish to your floors and linoleum. Then put on your hat and march out. When you come back, you'll be greeted by beautiful, shining floors. Floors that will stay clean and fresh because... They're protected from dirt and wear by the shining Glow Coat Polish. You see, Glow Coat is self polishing. It shines as it dries without help from you. Now, if you feel a touch of spring fever coming on, hurry up and put Johnson's Self Polishing Glow Coat on your floors. Then you can play hooky from work, and your floors will look more beautiful than ever before. Just be sure you get the real thing C-O-A-T. Johnson's Self Polishing Glow Coat. Vista is the more or less happy home of a new rendezvous de sandwich on the corner of 14th and Oak Streets. It's a new hamburger stand, owned and operated temporarily at least, by our own leader of cafe society. Fibber, you know our hamburgers because we know our onions, McGee. I'll see, bud,
3: what do you have? Two hamburgers and coffee. That'll be 30 cents. Thank you. Uh, didn't you want some more coffee, Bud? The second cup is free. Ah, it's terrible. (laughs) Bud, I guess you didn't read the sign. What sign? Why, right up there. Coffee like Mother used to make. What do you mean insulting my mother that way? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I gotta make this joint more exclusive. Have to get some tablecloths and scare away the riprap, I guess. Hey, chef. Yes? Yeah? I had a complaint on the coffee a minute ago. You sure it's okay?
4: Oh, sure. I just had four
5: cups myself, and I feel all right. Except I can't get my eyes uncrossed.
3: <laughs> it the coffee that makes you cross-eyed. Take the spoon out of your cup. <laughs> I never thought of that. Well, don't... uh Uh-oh. Here comes Mrs. Uppington. Get that griddle hot.
5: It's hotter than a $2 pistol now, boss.
6: (laughs) Oh, may, how do you do, Mr. McGee? (laughs) Oh, what a quaint little shop, really.
3: (laughs) Well, thanks, Uppy. How... Say, you look kind of upset.
6: Oh, yes. Yes, I am, Mr. McGee. I I suppose I'm just a silly girl, but Horatio and I have... Well, we've we've quarreled. We've had a tiff. (laughs)
3: A tiff? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's tough. (laughs) But give me the details, Uppy. What has poisoned Cupid's arrows now?
6: Oh, it was such a trivial thing, Miss McGee. Oh, Uh it was such a silly thing. Oh, that old oil stock.
0: Uh-oh. You
6: see, Horatio was so hurt because my broker refused to permit me to turn in my ATT t for a wonderful investment in Brazilian oil. <laughs> you see, Horatio is president of the oil company, too. Yes, I thought yes. so. Oh, <laughs> so. <laughs> such a stupid misunderstanding. Oh,
3: forget it, Uppy. Why don't you have a hamburger and forget your troubles? A nice, well-did hamburger with onions.
6: Heaven, how can it be, and...
3: Without onions, then Better eat something Remember, many an empty stomach has been mistaken for a broken heart
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Perhaps you're right well,
3: Sure I am Come on, grab a stool, Uppy, and order up
6: yeah, Very well Now, I, um, I think I shall start with some caviar
3: Okay, Uppy Hey, Chef Rob a sturgeon Fish the fish <laughs> uh, what else, Uppy?
6: Uh, some jelly consomme, I think. Pea soup with a palsy. Ah, <laughs> uh, a jelly <jitterbug> gumbo. <laughs> and now for an entree, let me see. Oh yes, curried shrimp.
3: Rub down for a lobster's cousin.
7: Ah,
5: <laughs> uh, a Swedish massage for a shellfish. <laughs>
3: Ah oh, dear, any dessert, happy?
6: Uh, yes, yes, the chocolate éclair and the demi
3: Okay, brunette on a bun and a mug for a midget. Ah,
7: <laughs> uh, a suntan
6: cream puff and a drop in the bucket. <laughs>
3: Dry them tears and take it easy, Uppy. Your hamburger will be right up.
6: Hamburger? But really, I I didn't want a hamburger.
3: No, but these hamburgers. Why, listen, Uppy. Do you realize that every cow in the country hopes its kids will grow up to be a McGee hamburger? (laughs) What? For a calf, that's like growing up to be president. I'm telling you, Uppy, you never had had such a hamburger.
6: Please, Mr. McGee, can't you see that I'm in no mood for this? Oh, dear me, I'm such an unhappy girl. Oh, you'll have to forgive me, Mr. McGee, but really, I I simply must go. Goodbye.
3: Goodbye. (laughs) You got to go. Well, I feel kind of sorry for her. (laughs) It's a terrible thing to find your big moment is really small time. Hey, chef. Cancel that hamburger Okay Back in the barn (laughs) Hello there, Johnny Need a good dishwasher? (laughs) No thanks, old timer We use paper plates and throw them away Hey! I says, no thanks Besides, washing dishes wouldn't be good for your rheumatism You go on and be a little stiff in your own joints
8: (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, Johnny But that ain't the way I heard it. (laughs) The way I heard it, one feller says to the other feller, see, says, (laughs) see, them hamburgers smell pretty good, Johnny." Will you have one, old timer? Sure will, Johnny. A little later. What was I talking about? Oh yes, See, says, see where the Republicans might run this feller Dewey for president. That's so, says t'other feller. He got a good record? Sure has, says the first fella. Look what he done at Manila. <laughs> <laughs> eh, make that hamburger of mine with plenty onions, Johnny. I ain't got a date tonight. <laughs> Keep it hot for me while I go home and get my teeth. <laughs>
3: I'll say he ain't got a date tonight He may have spring in his heart But that don't help the fall in his arches <laughs> Oh, curmudgeon Hey, boss What's the matter, bud? You know that big can of cream we use for the coffee? Yes Oh, we ain't got much milk left in it <laughs> Okay, I'll order some right away Hello, operator Give me the wistful Mr. of cream Oh, is that you, Mert? Yeah. It's McGee, Mert How's everything? Huh? Your old man Oh, that's too bad Split his what? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Brushed him right down there, huh? What say, Mert? 22 stitches, eh? Well, I warned him, Mert. I told him them pants was too tight. Just call the creamy from here, will you, Mert, and tell him to send me over some cream? Okay, thanks, Mert. Oh, hi, Billy. Hello. Fibber. Hi, Don. Hi, Pepper. Well, have a couple of hamburgers? No, thanks. I had one this morning and didn't like it. Found a piece of cloth in it. Why, Don, a piece of cloth in one of our hamburgers? What? Hey, wait a minute. What color was it? Blue. I thought so. That was blue ribbon beef you was eating there, boy. <laughs> what you gonna sing, Don? I promise you. Oh, I like that there. You go ahead and sing while I... Oh. Greeting, Gate. what do you have on your plate? <laughs> That's from the Hope Show, and we sure hope you like our hamburgers. Well, I do. I was in this morning and bought six. Uh, fix me up a couple more of them, will you? Just like the last ones.
0: Very thin and very
3: well done. Uh, better make it four of them to go out. Oh, okay, bud. A quartet for a road show. One for the griddle, cook it slow, brown in the middle, and four to go. Take <laughs> it, Take it, Don. <laughs>
9: My love for you is as great as a love can be, yet words couldn't quite express the way that I feel, and as we stand at the doorway of days to be, I faithfully take I promise you with heart sincere That I will always love you, dear That when you need me, I'll be here I promise you I promise you I'll build a shrine Where we can keep our love divine of time, I promise you, with every dawn that I awaken, I know my chances will increase to keep the vow I've taken, to see that your joy... you, your heart will sing in what we'll see.
3: I promise you, and very, very good, too, Don. That was one of the best numbers. Oh, hi, sis. Welcome to the Palais (laughs) Tomaine. Sit down and have a McGee hamburger. They're as sweet as a girlfriend the week before Christmas and as tender as our foreign relations.
10: No, no, thank you. I'm making a special survey. Tell me, do you think the radio will ever
6: replace the phonograph?
3: (laughs) Of course it won't, sis. Why not? You can't play both sides of a broadcast.
6: Oh, thank you
3: These surveys I'll bet the reason so many businessmen go out of business is They have to take so much time from business To fill out questionnaires asking them how business is Wow, some business Hello, Fiver Oh, hi, Harkle. Have a hamburger? No, I don't believe I want a hamburger Haven't you got a nice juicy steak? Nice juicy steak, why, certainly How about a big juicy filet mignon? Oh, boy, swell Okay Hey, chef Saddle a filet for a steak race you gonna be a regular customer, Harpo? Oh, probably I ate all my meals out, you know Gee, hey, but don't you get tired of that, Harpo? Well, why don't you get married
2: and settle down? Well, gee, I have proposed to a girl once And she said no She did? Ooh. Maybe you didn't propose right Yes, I did I proposed real nice and on my knees, too Well, what'd you say to her? I said, darling
3: Mood music, Mills I said, darling, look at this dull, dingy floor. Let
2: me build you a little love nest, and we'll call it Glowcoat Manor. I'll show you how you can keep your floors in linoleum bright and shining with Johnson's Glowcoat, with absolutely no rubbing or buffing to roughen those little hands of yours. Oh, boy, what passion! <laughs> And then I said, think of it, dear, just to pour a little glow coat on the floor and spread it around with the long-handled plier, and then you and I holding hands on the sofa for 20 precious
3: minutes while the glow coat dries to a beautiful mirror-like polish. <laughs> I'd like to have seen the love light in her eyes when you got to the part about saving one-third on the large size can. LAUGHTER Well, you know that was the
2: odd part of it, Fibber. Huh? She suddenly stood up with a strange look in her eyes and said, "Listen, Poodle." She used to call me Poodle.
7: Oh! <laughs>
2: Listen, Poodle," she said. "Where do you get this wonderful Johnson's glow coat?" And I said, "Oh, at any hardware store, a drug store, or the grocery man."
3: And then she was gone. Oh! And then you never saw her again, no more.
2: Oh, yes. At her wedding, she'd gone right out and married the grocery man. I <laughs>
3: see. <laughs> I guess I just don't understand women. <laughs>
5: Here's your steak, Mr. Wilcox. (laughs)
3: Shall we give you a bone on the side, poodle? (laughs) No, no, thanks. This will be all... Say, this is a hamburger. I thought you were giving me a nice, juicy steak. That's it, Harpo. Only we grind our steaks up. That's what makes them so juicy. (laughs) Oh, gee whiz. What's the matter, boss? Didn't he want the
5: hamburger?
3: No, I guess not. Put it on a table by the window, and I'll eat it myself. Give people passing by confidence in the place to see the boss eating his own victuals. Oh, hi, bud. Here's the hamburgers you ordered. Oh, thanks. Uh, fix me a half a dozen more cooked exactly like those others. Thin and well done. Oh. Even better done this time. I'll be back for them later. Okay, bud. Hey, chef. Six hamburgers to go. Thin and well done and hurry them up.
7: Six cows. Stampede them.
10: <laughs> Hello, mister. Do you need a good cashier? <laughs>
3: Yes, it's Zazu Pitts again, folks, the gal with the permanent wave in each hand. What made you think I might need a cashier, sis?
10: Well, I thought if you had somebody sitting at the desk there by the window, you know, somebody with a, Well, I don't know as ought to say it myself, but you know, a certain appeal.
5: <laughs> well, that's a
3: thought, sis. You need the job?
10: Oh, not financially, uh-huh. But goodness, I thought now there is a place to work where a girl can meet some nice men in a refined way. I think sitting there all day long, handling money and watching men eat would satisfy both my playgirl complex and my maternal instinct.
3: (laughs) I don't know, sis, what experience you had?
10: Well, my last experience, mister, was at the public library. Uh A very nice man came up to me and said, What are you doing tonight, babe? And I thought a minute and said, Well, I'm going home and rent out a few things. (laughs) And then I'm going to church for an hour or so. And then I looked up and he was gone. (laughs) Another experience I had... Just a minute,
3: sis. I I didn't mean your romantic experiences. What experience you had as cashier?
10: Well, I've kept my own budget for years and years, mister Mm -hmm. I'd show it to you, but it's in the same book as my diary And maybe I might have been a little too frank in a girlish sort of way (laughs) Listen,
3: sis, are you accurate? Can you make change?
10: Oh, dear, I'm sure I can My grandfather was a lightning calculator and only made one mistake in his life What was that? He calculated lightning wouldn't strike him if he stood under a tree in the golf course. <laughs> we never found anything but his niblick.
3: Well, that's too bad. But it just takes one stroke to ruin a man's game.
7: <laughs>
3: now listen, sis... If you work here, we can't have you eating hamburgers all day long. You realize that, don't you?
10: No, dear, yes. I don't like hamburgers anyway. Don't you ever serve chicken? We always have chicken at our house. That's so. I take the wings, my brother takes the legs, and mother gets the liver, but the heart belongs to Daddy. <laughs>
3: We don't seem to be getting anywhere, sis. I'll give you a simple test. Now, suppose I just had a couple of hamburgers at ten cents apiece, two cups of coffee, the second one free, and a piece of pie at a dime. How much would I have to pay? Nothing. Why
10: not? Dear me, you own this place, don't you?
3: (laughs) Yes, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid you won't do.
10: Well, all right, but if you change your mind, my telephone number is 476.
3: 476.
10: Oh, tell me, mister. Is your Mr. Wilcox married?
3: <laughs> Why? No, he ain't, sis.
10: No, mine. He's so nice, too. Uh, where does he live, mister?
3: At the Wistful Vista Bachelor Apartments. Why'd you want to know where Harpo lives?
10: Well, it's probably just fate, mister, but do you realize I pass by his house almost every afternoon, starting tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs>
5: How dear to my heart. Are the scenes of my childhood When fond recollection presents them to view But something sure has happened to the old oaken bucket His story, sad but true There's a hole in the old oaken bucket it don't hold no water No more, no more There's a hole in the old, old Oaken bucket And through it the water Does pour, does pour Oh, it was the best tale In the Ozarks With nary a defect Or a maw Where the hole in the old, old Oaken bucket Was put there when ma it, fall. Ma, pa. Romantic with a on the hill He thought it was right to help her To the well, to the well, by the mill Ma didn't think that no reason For poor Pappy's and on She told him to act like a mountain man gee, 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 gee. Then she pulled the trigger once again There's a hole in the old, old oaken bucket And it don't hold water no more finger, and all around it water did pour. Oh, I guess, guess there's no use in denying, the end of our bucket has came, oh, there'd not be no hole in the bucket, if Ma had a took better, hey, amen hey, oh, if Ma had a took better.
3: That was the four notes singing a Billy Mills arrangement of There's an aperture in the old open container Well, That was nice going, kids If I wasn't wrapped up in this hamburger joint I'd back you in a bucket shop Now let's see, I better make out the menu for tomorrow H-A-M-B-U-R-G-E-R-S There, that's taken care of Oh, hi, Boomer Good day, fancy pants, good day What's this about you and Mrs. Uppington having a falling out? I hope it's nothing temporary. Quite true, quite true. The
8: dear girl has been badly advised, I think. That's so. all. After all we have in common, she insists on holding her preferred. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and you, nosy Parker, I hold responsible for the lovely creature's financial stubbornness.
3: Who, <laughs> me? Why, shucks, Boomer. All I ever said about you was that... You was a crook and a bum and the kind of a chiseler that would scrape the gold leaf off the sign in front of the old lady's home. <laughs> Chuck, huh, I thought that was a real conservative estimate.
8: Crumble face, one of these days you will go too far with me. But I'm not the one to hold a grudge. No, not Horatio K. Boomer. By the way, uh, how is my credit for a hamburger?
3: <laughs> bad, Boomer, bad. No dough, no grub. I was afraid of that. Only reason I
8: ask, I don't believe I have anything smaller with me than a hundred dollar bill.
3: That's so. Well, let's see it.
8: Oh, uh, certainly, certainly. Have it right here. Uh, someplace. Let's see now. where did I put that hundred dollar bill? Hundred dollar bill, hundred dollar bill. Beautiful sound, isn't it? Hundred dollar bill. How would I put that bill? A hundred... Here's a personal letter from a collection agency. <laughs> Very affectionate, too. A little squeeze in every paragraph. <laughs> Driver's license for a man named Dillaway. Seemed to have driven his car away by mistake. <laughs> Must have been an important citizen, too. Had a motorcycle escort behind me for 12 miles. <laughs> Let's see, letter opener.
3: What do you mean, letter opener? That's a tea kettle. It's still
8: a letter opener, Potato Bob.
3: (laughs) Well, come on, Boomer, the $100 bill or no hamburger?
8: Ah, yes, the $100 bill. Where can I have put it? Invitation to a reception, small affair. No one there had to crawl in through a window. (laughs) Gold wristwatch Birthday present from Little Hulu Dancer Beautiful movement, too (laughs) Topei with gray hair Always wear that when I want to worry about something (laughs) And a check for a short beer. Well, well, imagine that No hundred dollar bill Surprise (laughs) Yeah, I wonder what I could have done with it Too bad if I lost it was made by a dear friend of mine. (laughs) He ran off ten of them and then ran off. (laughs) Somebody hollered, Cheese it, and he welched the rabbit. (laughs) Well, good day, son of Frankenstein. Good day. (laughs)
3: What a guy. The minute I seen him get a load of uppies diamonds, I knew that romance was headed for the rocks. <laughs> oh, well, I don't suppose there's any... Hello good. there. My hamburgers ready? Oh, you betcha, you, bud. Uh, that'll be uh, 60 cents. Thank you. I, I certainly appreciate your trade, bud. You're, you're my best customer. hope you come in often. Oh, I will. Your hamburgers are just right for me. Fine. Fried, well done, and thin. Oh, that's fine. You, you say you got a shop near here? Yeah, right down the street. What kind of work do you do that makes you so hungry? Hungry? Oh, I don't eat those things. I'm a cobbler and I use them for half soul. we want to thank America's number one glamour girl, Zazu Pitts, for appearing on our little hamburger barbecue tonight. And incidentally, we don't like to do the same kind of a show two weeks in succession, but don't be surprised if we're back at my sandwich parlor again next Tuesday night, March 14th. Our income tax man is insistent on a joint return. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs>
2: speaking for the makers of Johnson's wax and Johnson's self-polishing Coat, racing Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Trevor McGee and Company are presented from Hollywood Radio City. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night it's Richard Diamond, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Our featured performer is Orson Welles, well known for so many wonderful performances. He was an American actor, director, writer, and producer who worked in theater, radio, and film, and remembered for his innovative work in all three. On Halloween morning, 1938, Orson Welles awoke to find himself the most talked about man in America. You see, the night before, Wells and his Mercury Theater of the Year had performed a radio adaptation of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds, converting the 40-year-old novel into fake news bulletins describing a Martian invasion of New Jersey. Some listeners mistook those bulletins for the real thing. And their anxious phone calls to police, newspaper offices, and radio stations convinced many journalists that the show had caused nationwide hysteria. And by the next morning, the 23-year-old Wells' face and name were on the front pages of newspapers coast to coast, along with headlines about the mass panic his CBS broadcast had allegedly inspired. Wells barely had time to glance at the papers, leaving him with only a horribly vague sense of what he had done to the country. He had heard of mass stampedes, of suicides, and of angered listeners threatening to shoot him on sight. He said, "'If I'd planned to wreck my career, I couldn't have gone about it better.'" With his livelihood and possibly even his freedom on the line, Wells went before dozens of reporters, photographers, and newsreel cameramen at a hastily arranged press conference in the CBS building. Each journalist asked him some variation of the same basic question. Had he intended or did he at all anticipate that War of the Worlds would throw his audience into panic? Well, That question would follow Wells for the rest of his life. And his answers changed as the years went on, from protestations of innocence to playful hints that he knew exactly what was going on all along. So tonight, he stars in the suspense episode entitled, The Marvelous Barastro.
4: Roma Wine presents Suspense. This is The Man in Black, here to introduce this weekly half-hour of Suspense. Tonight from Hollywood, we bring you Mr. Orson Welles. Mr. Welles will appear as star of the suspense play called The Marvelous Barastro, from an extraordinary story by the distinguished American author Ben Hecht. And now, with The Marvelous Barastro, produced and directed by William Spear, and with the performance of Orson Welles, we again hope to keep you in suspense.
11: This is William Spear. Three weeks ago, I was seated in my office, poring over possible future stories with which to hold you in suspense, when a stranger appeared unannounced.
12: I am the marvelous Barastro. I've come to tell you a story.
11: How did you get in here?
12: I am a magician by trade. I do such things. Perhaps you've heard of me.
11: Well, frankly, no, haven't
12: I am the greatest magician alive. Uh, that is not so. I am the second great. But soon I will be the first. I'm leaving tonight for Mexico City. You see me now for the first and last time. You will never see me again. No one will ever see me again. It is the last of Barastro. Well, how's that? I'm going to Mexico City to murder a man. To, I... His name is Rico Sansoni. Well, uh, why are you going to kill him? Because he is the most evil man in the world. I've been waiting 20 years for his name to appear. But as long as he chose to hide, there was no hope. He's too clever yes, even for me. But I knew that his vanity would betray him. And that someday I'd read again the name Rico Sanzoni. I knew he would return to the stage.
11: Is uh, he a magician? The
12: greatest who has ever lived. The most profound, the most subtle, the most evil. He's greater than I. He begins his first performance in 20 years in Mexico next week. I will be there to see it.
11: I would like to hear your story. I really would.
12: I can tell you all but the end. I will... We'll be unable to tell you the end now, but you will find it out for yourself.
11: Well, I'd like to hear what you can tell
12: me. I will tell you, Mr. Spear, but on one condition.
11: And that?
12: I must have your oath not to interfere.
11: Well, really, now, I can hardly give you that. After all, I can't mm,
12: be an acceptable. Very well, very well. I will take my chances with you. This story begins 20 years ago. <laughs> I traveled as a magician with a small carnival through southeastern Europe. One night we came to a village in Malo, Russia. Our cymbals sounded, our torches flickered in the spring wind, and the villagers gathered around our tents and wagons. I had taken my place in the black box outside my tent. There were holes in the box through which I could watch the crowd while the barker made his announcement.
5: Barastro, the marvel of marvels! Barastro, the magician who speaks with the dead and reads the secrets of life!
12: At this moment, at this moment, I saw her for the first time. Her young and gentle face surprised me among so many peasants. I said to myself, what a strange girl, what a beautiful child. I kept watching her. I couldn't keep my eyes away. At length, an old peasant led her in, holding her by the hand. I saw at once that she was blind. My granddaughter would like you to tell her future.
13: Can you tell my future? Yes. Will it be a happy one,
12: my future? Hold out your hand. I will tell you. Here. A dark mist passed over me. I felt a sudden chill as I touched her hand. I listened to the voices which foretell the future. Sorrow, sorrow, they breathed. Pain and sorrow fly, run. I studied the girl's face, a fear gripping at my heart. Her large, sightless eyes were calm, resigned. I could not bring myself to tell her what I saw. The spirits promise you happiness. I lied to her. Your hands will touch beautiful things. Love and delight await you.
13: Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.
12: That was the beginning. Her face haunted me that night. I could not sleep. I made inquiries the next morning and found her. We walked through the hill. She did not need my hand to guide her. She knew every stone, every turn of the path. She spoke of the trees around us. She had strange names for them.
13: I call that tree lullaby, because it sings when it sways in the wind. Lullaby? And that one, see? With its branches open towards heaven, I call that one prayer.
12: How do you know its branches open toward the sky?
13: When I was younger, I climbed it. Anna. Come. I'll race you to the bed of flowers at the turn. Anna. Hurry, I run fast.
12: We walked often through the hills. I knew that she was aware of her destiny. The stars had told me she would not live long. And that agony and terror waited for her. On the short journey. A caravan remained for two weeks in the village at the end of that time. I asked Amur to come with me as my
13: wife. You make me very happy, Shari. I could live only with you.
12: I will love you with all my heart.
13: And you will teach me, Shari. You will teach me to see. To, To see? Does one need eyes to see as you do? Shari, you will teach me to see beyond the horizons. You will teach me to see as you see.
12: We were married. We rode together in the gilded wagon and the vows were taken under a clear sky. Suddenly, suddenly the sky changed. It was only then that I realized what I had done. In seeking to save her, I was fulfilling the terrible message of the stars. For it was I, Shari Barastro, who was the instrument fate had selected for her ruin. it came. One night, as I stood in the black box outside my tent, I knew that I needed no further word from the mists of prophecy. It was there. It had come. He, he stood among the peasants before our tent. A graceful figure, smiling, leaning on his cane, a man of the world amazingly out of place in this faraway little village. I looked at him through the holes in my box. As I looked, I turned cold. I watched him, and I felt afraid. He was studying Anna. Never once did he stop looking at her. My temper is quick and fiery. I went up to him as he was watching Anna. How subtle he was. How graceful. I seized his arm and demanded to know what he meant by staring at my wife. He removed my hand as if it were a child's. I can tell you there was something terrifying in his strength. Huh. I most humbly beg your pardon for this misunderstanding. Let me introduce myself. My name is Rico Sansoni. I'm a student of the occult traveling throughout the world in search of knowledge. Inside me, I feel that girl has remarkable psychic powers. I'd hope to be able to induce her to join me as my assistant. I'm too panicked you on the stage, but... Now that I know she's your wife, I apologize again for my seeming forwardness.
9: <laughs> well, if that is
12: the case, there is nothing to do but accept your apology, eh, Anna? I think it is only fair. Anna?
13: No. I have nothing to say.
12: It was thus Rico Sansoni entered the lives. Little by little, during the days that followed, he attached himself to us. He talked all his talk. We listened, Anna and I, to his tales. He'd been everywhere, seen everything. He brought the world into our gilded wagon. In his presence, I always felt elated and flattered. Thus does a man move in the grip of his destiny. Thus do we dig with our own hands the appointed grave for our happiness. And one night, when my Donna came to took my hand and told me something that made my heart grow blank.
13: Shari, Rico Santoni has made love to me.
7: Anna.
13: I've done nothing wrong. I'm afraid of Rico. Anna. I tell you this so you will understand my fear.
12: You want to tell me all about it now? Yes. Tell me then.
13: Rico came to me this afternoon while I was alone. He took my hand and held it gently in his. I suspected nothing until he asked me if I loved you and how deeply I loved you. Then he asked me if I love you more than happiness or life. I took my hand from him and said, I cannot talk of love to you, even of my love for my husband. Please leave me.
12: Rico? Come in. have yes, told you. Charlie, forgive me. For a moment, I, I grew weak. Let me remain your friend. I, I brought you both some flowers. I picked them myself. Will you accept them? You won't accept them? Oh, of course we will, my friend. How could I have doubted you? I understand. Come, we forget the entire incident. You're kind, really, you're kind. This was the third month of our friendship, and now, now I began to feel it was, it was my companionship he desired, not Anna's. We spent long hours together without Anna. Under his care, my mind was expanding, my powers developing. He seemed interested in my every move. and Again, I was flattered. Lord. Bizarre. You have a funny way of saying the word uh, beautiful, my friend. How is it you say it? Oh, uh, beautiful. That's it. Beautiful. <clears throat> you were telling me about the uh, Houdini method of respiration. Yes, I was. Be- beautiful. Hmm? <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> I like you, Charlie. I like you very much. Amazing. Amazing. How one can be drawn in by flattery and charm. Then one day I was sitting in my tent when a curious sense came over me. I felt a pressure on my heart as if a hand were closing around it. It was a warning. I left the tent quickly and hurried to the apartment. Anna had remained there as she frequently did in the afternoon. And I found myself running toward the door. I paused, waited until I had recovered my breath. And then... Forcing a smile to my lips. Open the door. I saw Rico. Rico standing with his arms around her. Her face raised to his lips. Speechless. Powerless. I looked at him. I heard a voice murmuring words of love. Her arms moved around his neck. And she kissed him. Then I heard him. Anna, my darling. Darling, my love. Anna, my darling. My beautiful darling. The sound of his voice and horror seized me. Now I knew why he had spent so many hours with me, why he was so interested. It was my voice. It was Baratro talking. It was the voice that seemed to come from my own throat. I understood what it happened forward, shouting his name, Rico! He turned and faced me. He pointed his finger at me as if he were an image in a mirror. Rico! He echoed.
7: <laughs>
12: I heard Anna scream. And murder was in my heart.
7: I threw at this monster.
12: Struggled across the room. He answered my cries with cries. that echoed each note, each inflection of my voice. I saw him through my wrist. His face was contorted like my own. His every feature had changed. He was Barastro. There were two Barastros screaming together, tumbling over each other.
7: Soon,
12: soon he held me in his hands. Hands that were like steel. I could not move or cry out. His hand was on my throat. I lay gasping, crazed, and it was Barastro who was holding me. Then this horrible and familiar figure changed. It became Rico. It was Rico Sanzón who spoke. The breath was leaving my body. I was strangling, dying. Yet I could hear him. Barastro, God, you're killing me! Charlie, Charlie, have mercy! I'm dying. His voice was faint. I felt in this moment the agonies of a hundred deaths. For as my eyes grew dark, I saw with horror the thing he had in his mind. He was pretending it was I who was killing him. And thus he would kill me and go to her at Barastro. It would be Rico Tansoni would be buried. Barastro, Barastro remained. For a moment I caught a glimpse of his cold, ruthless eyes burning now over my face as he enacted his false death groaning, pleading for mercy, and the strength drawn from the soul filled my lungs. I cried out with all my might, Anna! Anna! Knowing that by this she would understand it was I, I who was dying, and darkness seized me. My eyes, my head was splitting. My throat was stiff, and I raised myself and looked. He was gone. I saw her. She was standing in the corner of the room, crouched against the wall, her hand against her teeth, and staring, staring into the terrible dark around her. Anna, 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 it is I, Anna. It is I, Anna. Anna. Oh, God, Anna, please. Anna, Anna, darling, listen to me. Anna, give me your hand. Anna, oh, Anna listen, listen, did Sorry, your husband, did he die? Anna, listen, listen, remember. Remember, Anna. Remember when you were kissed. That time on the hill, remember, Anna. I called you little princess, remember, Anna. Anna? And about your trees, Anna. Your trees, huh? How oh, about the trees, Anna? Lullaby, lullaby, Anna. Lullaby Anna. and the prayer. And, and the one of these branches pointing towards heaven, the one you crossed. Anna, please, please. Anna, please. It is I, I, Anna, listen. Listen carefully, Anna. The spirit promised you happiness. Remember, Anna, your hands will touch beautiful things. Love and delight, oh Rachel.
13: Sorry.
12: Oh, my darling. My Anna, my
7: Sherry, hold me, Sherry, dear. Yes, my darling, yes.
12: Hold me, oh, There, there, my darling.
7: It's all right. It's all right. It's all
12: right. Rico had disappeared. We laid our clans. As soon as she was able to walk, we abandoned the carnival. We were inseparable. She could not bear to have me away for even one moment. I understood. I understood everything in her soul. Even the trembling, the trembling that would seize her sometimes. When I took her in. it was I alone. I alone, he could not deceive. To anyone else, he could become Barastro. Even to her. To her whose senses had learned every breath, every inflection of the she loved. To her he had been Barastro. So the months passed. Her life had become again almost like a honeymoon. Almost, I say, for there were nights when I would wake to find her fingers tracing the contours of my face. Then it was I pretended to be ill and remained at her side. We said nothing, but we knew the shadow in each other's minds. Everything went smoothly, though, until one evening when I entered the cabaret where I performed, feeling unusually disturbed. It was winter. I was removing my coat. When it came, it came again. As I had known it would the warning, the hand closing over my heart. I ran from the place and raced home. I entered our cottage by the back door, quietly like a thief, and I stood listening. Johnny. From inside, I could hear her voice. Daddy, you're in it
13: like this. I was just scared of Johnny.
12: Anna, my dear Anna How I love you He was back He was back One does not reason in the midst of a nightmare Yet terror can wake the mind to a clairvoyance An understanding beyond thought I stood motionless, silent Listening, the light was turned out I heard her laugh Laugh like a child in the dark. And this sound killed me. Yes, one is dead forever when happiness is torn from the heart. I wanted to rush into the room. I wanted to shout, Anna, Anna, don't touch him. He's Rico. But instead, I slipped quickly from the house. I walked in the cold streets. My thoughts returned. I had acted out of one clear impulse through the terror and the agonies of those moments.
7: And I heard her take him in her
12: arms. There had remained a certainty above everything else. I must save her. Then I knew I'd acted wisely. Had I rushed into the room, had I made a noise, she would have died. She would have known in that moment, as I stood listening to him, that he had been there before. That he had been there before. That he had crept through our defenses. And a shadow creeps. that we had not known. I thought of them together as I walked. And then I thought again. I had only to rush back to speak him. Yes, and destroy her. I kept on walking. And as I walked, I began to understand him. Yes, I was dealing with a monster. He would manage to leave her, as he must have done so often before, a few moments before I was due to return from the cabaret. And if I sensed something was wrong... He would rely on my love for her to keep this sense a secret. He knew me well. He understood I would allow my heart to be eaten away with grief. And I would not make a sign lest I destroy all my love for themselves. It was I who must be careful. Not he. (laughs) He knew me. He jambled on me. I determined to kill him the first moment I saw him alone. And I began to think of his superhuman strength and that he might kill me as he had at first intended and that he would go on living with her as Barastro. She would never know I was dead. She would continue to love me in his arms, to press her kisses upon my murderer. until and this was the thought that contained in it the fullest measure of horror, the thought of that moment when she would see him and not me. Do you understand the grief of that night? Yes, it is fortunate I cannot remember it all. I returned home at the time, at the time Rico wanted me to. I wasn't careful about my coming. I trusted him, do you understand? I trusted him The thought of his evil he would spare her, as I spared her, out of my love. I entered the bedroom, I opened the door and walked in. She was alone. Anna? Anna, dear? Anna! It is I! It is not Rico! It is I! Sorry! Anna! memory of Anna, my memory. She seized her face with her hands, as if she were tearing something. Yes, the darkness. As I rushed to her, she fell. She did not speak again. In the morning, she died.
11: That is the story, as nearly in Barastro's words as I can remember them. When he'd finished, he got up quietly, looked at me a moment, and said, Thank you for listening to me, Mr. Spear. You understand now my prediction that there will be one less magician alive in the world within a fortnight. Well, at the moment, I didn't know that I quite believed it all, but since then, I don't know. The incidents left me pretty shaky and nervous. All week I've had a strange, distracted feeling as though I were waiting for something. And now I know came a few minutes before we went on the air tonight, and and it was too late to substitute another story. I was thumbing through my copy of the theatrical weekly variety when my eye caught the notice. You probably saw it, too, of a magician who had been killed in Mexico City. The account said that two magicians had been together in an automobile accident. While driving through the rail yard district, their car stalled on a track and had been demolished by an oncoming train. One of the magicians, unidentifiable had been cut to pieces. The other, miraculously, escaped with his life, although his features were so horribly disfigured that plastic surgery will have to create a new face for him. The survivor identified himself as the marvelous Barastro.
4: so closes Ben Heck's story of the marvelous Barastro, starring Orson Welles. Tonight's tale of... Suspense!
12: This is Orson Welles. It is a great pleasure, as it always is, to appear as a purveyor of suspense. Mr. Speer
4: would like me to tell you that next week, uh, Mr. Ed Gardner is coming to this program. You know him better, perhaps, as Archie, the elite proprietor of Duffy's Tavern. Mr. Gardner at that time will make his debut as a dramatic actor.
12: Spears also asked me to say that, uh, the part of both magicians tonight uh, were enacted by uh,
4: Orson Welles, who also appears in a universal picture, uh, playing a magician. Or is it Orson Welles? Suspense is produced and directed by William Speer. Next Monday, same time, you will hear Ed Gardner, radio's famous Archie, in Suspense. <laughs> Presented by Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is CBS, the Columbia
5: Broadcasting
1: System. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. This podcast is
0: proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.